Oliver Berkman is a um, productivity specialist, leadership specialist, and he's written several books. Uh, the one that is getting the most discussion right now is a book called 4,000 Weeks. Uh, Berkman's uh, contention is that if you live to be 80, you will have about 4,000 weeks of life. That's it. 4,000 weeks. Our life is embarrassingly short. Our time breathtakingly limited. So Berkman kind of writes an anti-time management book. And his question is not how do you manage your day to get all of your stuff done. But you ask this question, should I be doing this at all? When my time runs out and I have exhausted my 4,000 weeks, am I going to be glad that I did this at all? And when you go through the kind of the weighting of what matters and doesn't matter, <laughs> looking against 4,000 weeks. The question of should this be done at all? The answer more times than not is no. It is a hard but clear biblical truth. We don't have as much time as we think. Jesus reminded, of, uh, reminded us of this in the ninth chapter of John. Stand with me in honor of God's word. Verse 1, as he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither. Neither this man nor his parents sin, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's work might be displayed in him and we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Night is coming when no man can work. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it. Believe it and live. Let's pray together. Teach us, O oh Lord, to number our days that we may gain the heart of wisdom, that we may know what matters and matters eternally. So we can live lives that make a difference. And we pray this in your name. Amen. A lot of Jesus' moments happen when either he's on his way to somewhere else, someone interrupts him, or they come up on something, and now they have come up on a man who was born blind. Man's been blind all his life. And notice what the disciples do. The disciples take away this man's humanity almost instantly. 
He is no longer someone to be served. He is no longer a person who is in need. He is now a person, an object to be discussed. He is a problem to be solved. So the disciples look at him and go, hmm, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? That he was born like this. Interesting, interesting theological kind of discussion and debate that there is something wrong, therefore somebody must be to blame, and if we can find out who is to blame, then maybe we can assign responsibility or something. Now, was it this man's parents? Wow. So this man's parents sinned, and God punished them by punishing the child. Or... Did this man sin before he was born? Did he sin before he was born that, he was, that God would punish him and that he would be born blind? That is some interesting theology. That you could sin before you even got here. Now, let's be honest. We know some people who were so hateful that they had to start before they were born. Neither. Neither. This is an opportunity to do the work of God. Now, God did not create a man who was born blind so Jesus could heal him and proclaim his Messiahship. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying anytime there is a moment that is broken, a family that is hurting, a person that is wounded, every opportunity you see like that is a chance for God to show mercy and to do something. So we get together and we engage with those, those children who need to be adopted we support those families who are adopting. Every opportunity of brokenness like this is an opportunity for the church to show the grace and mercy and power of God in changing those lives. We forget how damaging sin is. We take sin way too lightly. Most of the time when we talk about uh, uh, the fall of humanity, we wanna argue about who ate the apple first, and, and whose fault it is and that kind of stuff. We have no idea the power of sin to damage lives down to the molecular level. Creation was wounded to the molecular level, the natural processes of giving life, being born, have now been corrupted. And now sometimes it doesn't work out the way we thought it would. It doesn't work out when a child is born the way that we think it should. Sin breaks everything it touches. And now we have a man born blind. Now, you will remember the story. Uh, Jesus heals the man. That creates a controversy on who has the power to heal. Uh, the religious leader confront this man and say, who healed you? Uh, do you know who he is? Uh, the man is so frustrated by being challenged that he kind of, and, and you know this because you quote it all the time, 
The man finally says to religious leaders, the only thing I know is I was blind and now I can see. That's the only thing I know. I was blind, Jesus touched me, and now I can see. But did you notice how Jesus snuck this in? Most of the time, we're so excited to get into the story, we miss the little warning that Jesus gave us. Did you see it? Night is coming when no one can work. Night is coming when no one can work. You know, when you're young, all the senior adults in your life say, hang on, son, it flies by. And you're at home with twin boys and time stands still. You look at your watch and say, we can put them to bed about 7.30, 8 o'clock. You look at your watch and it's 6.10. You look at your watch two hours later and it's 6.11. And then you find yourself looking at your 67th birthday. Thought I had plenty of time. Now I'm acutely aware that I don't. Guess what? Neither do you. Now, now I know you've heard the preacher say, you better have your bags packed and your tickets punched. You don't ever know when that train's leaving the station. Then we'll go to a funeral and we'll stand around afterwards and we'll say, how old was he? How old was she? And the inevitable response is, wow, that's not that old. You don't have time, as much time as you think. It's going to get dark and it'll be too dark to, 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 to get any work done. And when that time comes, you're going to want your life to have counted, to have mattered. So the first thing we need to do is we need to take Oliver Berkman's question seriously. One, do all the things that we want to crowd into our life actually need to, be done, need to be done? See, the world's telling you that what you need is more effective time management. You need to have your mission and your vision and your goals and strategies and that kind of stuff. And you need to assign each of these goals particular times in your week. And if you do that, if you are effective, if you are committed, you can get all of these things done. At the end of the day... Why? College football has finally started. Can we just give Jesus an amen? Oh, yes, it's here. And I got up yesterday. It was a glorious day. Listen to me, you UT fans. I'm an Alabama fan. You know, I'm going to say it to the Bama fans too. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Countless hours were spent in front of a television set yesterday. Doesn't matter. Now, oh, there's breaking news. There's always breaking news. Have you noticed that? They never come in and say, 
hey, it's kind of a regular day. No, this is breaking. You have to know this. No, you don't. Your life's fine without knowing that. Now, here, here's why I, I, I'm kind of saying it. Every time I talk with you, you tell me, man, I know I need to be more in my Bible study. I need to be more in prayer. I know I need to do that. I just don't have time. Yes, you do. You crowding your time up with things that do not matter, but you have time for prayer and you have time for Bible study. And I don't know when you do it. I don't know if you're a late night owl and you do it the last thing before you go to bed or if you're early morning like me and you do it to start your day. Now, you spend the time you need reading scripture, you need the time you need in prayer and writing your journal, getting your day focused. Sometimes that's 20 minutes, sometimes it's 30 minutes, sometimes it's over an hour. But you take the time you need to do that first. Seek the kingdom of God and its righteousness when? First. It's not something you work into your day. It's how your day is organized. It's how your day is, is prioritized. It's in that moment of private worship, of Bible study and prayer, period. Biblically speaking, husbands, your next responsibility is to your wife. Biblically speaking, wives, your next responsibility is to your husband, not to your children. Marriage comes first. Our boys were got sideways one time where I was sitting with them at the, at the dining room table and I looked at them. I said, you need to remember your mother was here before you got here. She'll be here when you're gone. You force me to make a decision and I will miss you. <laughs> and then your children. And no, our children are not the government to raise. They're yours to raise. That's your biblical priority. Well, man, if I do all that, how do I get anything else done? Maybe you don't need to. Maybe you don't need to. In the 20th chapter of Kings, 1 Kings, the story of King Ahab, who finds a prophet who has disguised himself, and the prophet stops him and he says, you know, I was in the middle of the battle and a, a commander told me, guard this man. And I got busy here and there. Another translation says, I got busy doing nothing. And my prisoner escaped. Busy here and there. And your prisoner escaped. Yes, have a job. Yes, have a career. Yes. Take care of your needs, but your need is not to have a career. Do you get the difference? You have a career to meet your basic needs, but don't look for a career to bless you. Don't look for a career to identify you. Don't look for a career to build you into the man or woman you want to be. You have a career to meet your basic needs. That's it. And then you create space for friends, real relationships, 
that you can have conversations with and not be in a hurry. There's a new book out called The Dechurching of America. It's about all of the millions of people who are no longer in church. And they've done massive studies on this, on, on why these people have dropped out of church, why they're not going, and there's all kinds of reasons. But almost unanimously, it is overwhelmingly the number one thing that makes an impact. Do you know how to get these people back into church? Number one, by far, changing the pastor. Hate to tell you, nope. Changing the music. No. You know the number one thing that gets somebody back into church? Somebody ask. Somebody ask. Will you go to church with me? Will you meet me at church? Somebody asked. Now, the world will say, hey, uh, it's rude to share your faith with other people. It's rude to put them on the spot like that. Since when is it rude to share good news? Okay, if I find a restaurant and I'm talking to you and I say, man, I just found this restaurant. It's the best place I have ever eaten. And you say to me, oh gosh, I've known about that place for years. Well, why didn't you tell me? Why were you keeping this? I know you didn't want to have, have struggle to get a reservation. That's why you didn't tell me. So you kept this good news to yourself. Why is it all of a sudden rude in America to share good news? Now, I'll tell you what America is tired of. America is tired of hearing sermons from people whose lives do not match what they preach. That's what they're tired of. But if you're living out of the overflow of who Jesus is, out of the joy of who he is in your life, and they see the qualitative difference in your life, not only can you share your faith, they will want you to. Mark Twain, in his book, Letters to the Earth, chastises the church because according to the church, when we get to heaven, we're just all going to sit around on clouds and play harps. He says, but you cannot find one Christian who is taking harp lessons. <laughs> you want to spend eternity with Jesus but you won't spend your morning with him. Really? What if you and I make the decision this week that we're only going to do those things that matter and matter eternally and to everything else, it is no. How much better would your life be if you weren't consumed with things that do not matter?
night is coming when no one can work. Eight, 4,000 weeks. We don't have as much time as we think. Better make it count. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm not going to put you on the spot. I do want to ask you a couple of questions. Most of us are members of Brentwood Baptist Church. Here's the one thing I'd ask you to do. Who is that one person that you've been praying for that you need to ask to come to church with you? I'm not asking that you explain how the Bible got here or answer some deep question of theology. I'm asking you to simply ask a friend to come to church with you. Can you do that? Some of you kind of hits you a little bit that this is the first time you have thought about a relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't know what it means. You've got questions. That's okay. Our ministers are waiting for you in the Welcome Center. Turn out of here and turn left. You'll see it. Maybe you're looking for a church home, a family to be part of. You come. Don't leave here with those questions unanswered. You don't have time. You don't have as much time as you think you do. Better make it count. Lord Jesus, every life is now open in front of you. We pray now the choices we make will be exactly what you want.